everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. I think I can recognize the asshole's much quicker now. Yeah. Because you experience you've so experienced much. so many. Yeah. So many different varieties. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh. Because all assholes eat ice cream. A lot of assholes <laughs> eat ice cream. Welcome to Hustle & Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we're two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it's as messy as you think. We know that starting a business isn't easy. I mean, we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed, whether that's through our venue consulting, speaking, team training. We love to motivate others to take those big leaps. Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur, because every entrepreneur makes mistakes. But we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here. And we know it's just part of the process. And today we're talking just the two of us about last week's episode with Chris J. Evans, a California-based fashion and editorial style wedding photographer who also shoots in Maui and destinations worldwide. Chris and his team are passionate about delivering an unforgettable experience for their clients. If you haven't heard last week's episode, go give it a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. All right, Dana, let's get started. All right. Well, fun story. We met Chris at Engage yeah. this past December in yes. Bahamar. Take me back. I know. It was so fun. It was fun. And he had such amazing energy. I felt like he was like an honorary part of the team for yeah. multiple days. Yeah. 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 And just like a really great guy. I think he has two kids mm-hmm. and a wife, California. Yeah, but Engage is really neat. It was neat to be around people who consistently work with like luxury and clients. And for us, we wanted to reward our team for an amazing year. Yeah. They killed their sales goal. And we had talked about taking them on vacation. And I saw this pop up and I was like, you know, let's let's actually experience what luxury is. Let's see, like, let's give the girls a taste of what that is. Because we, we had just launched a luxury collection for the Bradford. And I don't know, I just felt like you can say it's a luxury collection and you can attempt to make it luxurious. But I think until you actually experience luxury, you can't really emulate it. Hopefully we have a couple of people on here on this podcast from Engage. But yeah, it was definitely a great conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely is kind of the epitome of luxury. Like everything's very experiential, mm-hmm. like the gifting. The and food it, was it, all great. The food was great. Mm-hmm. The experiences were great. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like a lot of um, awe and delight was kind of. And I felt like his when he was talking about like people in your pond, like Engage puts really great people in their ponds. Like the, you know, Bahamar, who they partnered with, mm-hmm. like all their designers, all their restaurants. I mean, everything was just on point. And yeah. it's because they, I think everyone had that same overall goal, overall expectation and overall like, yeah. I've never know, had energy. better conference food in it. Honestly. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, I love, and let's get started on like kind of a softball yeah. here. I love how he talked about when he moved to Hawaii, which we never asked him. I was wondering if he moved to Hawaii because he was a surfer and wanted to surf or because oh. it was for the photography. I feel like it's the surfing first. Yeah, I totally think so. Yeah, but, but uh-huh. how cool to just like pick up yeah. and move to Hawaii. Anyhow, so he moved to Hawaii and he was working at Mama's Fish Shop and that really taught him how to interact and what mm-hmm. the high-end client needs. 
Mm-hmm. It got me thinking about my time in a restaurant, which is nothing like Mama's Fish Shop. I was a hostess at Trips, which I think is no longer a restaurant chain in this area. Anymore, yeah. And I don't know what it taught me. It taught me I didn't want to work in a restaurant. Because yeah. it wasn't even like my experience in a restaurant, the things that are most memorable to me aren't the clients. It's literally the employees, like the mm-hmm. people that I worked with mm-hmm. were highly memorable and very dramatic. Yeah. There was always big drama in the restaurant. But do you think it's because they're all young? I don't know. There was like someone sleeping with the manager. Oh, that and always like, happens, yeah. And like, which I didn't understand. He was not attractive. And different servers dating different people in the kitchen or dating other servers. And there was always some drama, mm. literally. And that's like my biggest memory from working at at trips. Oh, no, I definitely had much more translatable skills. I was a supervisor for Dairy Queen for two years. My senior year of high school, I actually did it. And then my first year of college. And then I ended up quitting my sophomore year because this just was too much to drive back and forth to that Dairy Queen. And it was, I was hired when they opened. And so it was like a brand new store and it was owned by a married couple who were very, very great bosses. So I think first off what I learned was how approachable they always were and how much they never expected us to do anything that they wouldn't do themselves. Yeah. So I felt like they treated us really well, and it definitely made me realize that that's why I respected them so much is because I wasn't their minion. Like, they just saw me as, I wouldn't even say an equal, but just someone that they cared for. And, I mean, I was 16 at the time, and these people probably my age now. <laughs> and They seemed old at the time. No, I wouldn't say they seemed old. They just seemed very, like, established, Yeah. you know? So definitely taught me that. And then just people were crazy. They asked for weird things. And it didn't didn't matter how much you were trying to help them. Like I distinctly remember this client. They wanted, or a customer, I should say. We used to, we were a brazier. So we only had hot dogs, barbecue, and grilled chicken. And the grilled chicken wasn't grilled. You just microwaved it. It came already made or whatever. So there was like an option. You could get like a regular hot dog with nothing on it, like a meal. Or you could get an everything hot dog. Because, like, the cheese was extra and the chili was extra or whatever. So this person, she really wanted – she ordered a regular hot dog and she ordered everything on it except for one thing or whatever. And I was was trying to tell her, I was like, hey, why don't you just order the everything and I'll just take this off. It's it's like 75 cents cheaper, right, to do this so you don't have all these toppings on it. And this person, like, was like, that's not what I ordered. It's not what I want. I'm like, I'm trying to – I'm trying to tell you that this is a cheaper way for you to get what you want, right? It's saving you 75 cents. Like, in my mind, that made sense. And it was a huge to-do. And I was like, whatever. I'll order it. How you want to order it? But I was like, I'm, and I made me, it just taught me that it doesn't matter. Like, if you're trying to help somebody, it does not matter if it's not what they want, yeah. right? And it, if they it, don't want to be helped. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I just remember thinking very clearly, like, I'm never going to step in and help anybody else again. I'm just going <laughs> to charge them the extra 75 cents that it should have been or whatever yeah but yeah i think that's probably one of the biggest things and so now like you know with our with our with our business now like someone will call and they'll say they need xyz and i will first say i really feel like this is a better fit for you based on what you what you're what you're telling me but if they insist i'm not gonna fight it i'm like okay sure whatever Mm -hmm. i will try it once and then i will back off because i know i can't convince you otherwise yeah, maybe I learned from my experience that I like a low-drama workplace. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. We didn't have any drama. Like, we were all, pretty really? much all females. There was, like, one dude. I worked with my best friend. We had so much fun. 
and there was times when it was super slow, especially in the winter. And all we made were I made cakes, ice cream cakes and dilly bars and buster bars. And yeah, it was fun. It was a great job. I think everybody should work at a restaurant at some point. Yeah, I, agree. I just think it's like a really uh, unique perspective, a unique client facing perspective where really what you want doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think it also it just it provides empathy, I think, for understanding like why your server's you know, not maybe as attentive or like, as I think it helps you be exposed to a ton of different people. Yeah. And I think, and I think I can recognize the assholes much quicker now. Yeah. Because you experience them so Because you've experienced so, so many. Yeah. So many different varieties. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh. Because all assholes eat ice cream. A lot of assholes <laughs> eat ice cream. That is the truth. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love kind of moving on <laughs> from that. I loved how he really kind of built his brand on how he services his clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like his whole concept that you're, it's not just like a money transfer, it's an energy transfer between you and the clients. Yes. And I love that. And I, Cause I think that's, I think it's what people are really craving. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, they want to know that you are enthusiastic about mm-hmm. them and their project. Well, yeah, that's what he said. He said, people want to be entertained. They want quality and they want to be cared for because their money has to mean something intrinsically to them. Yeah, like people are emotional spenders. Yeah, but I think I wonder is that my question is, is that are you an emotional spender when you have a lot of money and when you don't have a lot of money, but you're not an emotional spender when you're like in the middle? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I I know I think that and like when I when we talk about our luxury clients, like I am not our client. Like, right. And that was one of the things that I learned throughout this business is my preconceived notions or my thoughts or feelings about money and whatnot aren't everybody's thoughts and feelings about money. And when I put my feelings and thoughts about money on somebody else, it's actually very limiting to my business, mm-hmm. right? Because I am actually not my ideal client, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't be marketing to me. So I don't know because I don't think I am an overly emotional spender. Like I don't make overly emotional money decisions. I think it gets back to kind of like Pavlov's hierarchy of needs. Like if you have all of your needs met and there's a little more gray room, then I think that people probably do make more emotional spending Mm -hmm. decisions. But do you think you're an emotional spender? Emotional is not the right word at all for me. I think it's, I think my money does have to mean something, but I'm not emotional about it. Yeah. But I feel very strongly about what I like who I give my money to. Yeah. You know, like I used to, I bought like something off of that site, Shein or whatever. Yeah. And I bought it. And then like a month later, it came out that they're just like horrible to their employees. And yeah. like they're in some third world country, not paying their people. And, and I just, I can't ever wear that dress again. Like, <laughs> because I feel like. Which dress is it? It's that black dress from Thanksgiving. Oh, that was cute on you. Yeah. And I just, I feel like I get it, you know. But there had to be something there. The dress is only like $30. Oh, I know. Someone was getting the short end of the stick. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, I didn't understand. I don't think I like fully understood. And I and at the time, I, it didn't matter because I needed a dress and I didn't have a ton of money to spend on it. Yeah. So I was looking for an alternative thing. And so I think there is that. Like where yeah. it's now I'm like, okay, like either I'm going to make something I have work or I'm going to, you know, work extra hard to find something that's more – Yeah you know, sustainable in terms of like economic society wise. But yeah, I mean, I care about what I buy, but there's some things that I feel really frustrated that I care about what I buy. Like I, it bothers me that I care about 
that where jewelry comes from, right? Because yeah. I love wearing jewelry, but it's also expensive when it's like ethically done. Mm-hmm. You know, so you hate that you care about that. I guess I hate that I care about that. <laughs> I mean, I do care about it, but so I think that there's just a couple of those things. But I, you know, getting back to <clears throat> what he was saying is that that energy transfer, and I feel I think that is so true because I think people can really, really resonate or be really turned off by your energy. Yeah. And what a blessing that is because if they're turned off by your energy, then they're not your client. Which was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. I remember sitting down in front of this client, and I think it was the people, the client whose father was the the um, engineer for Bradford, and we were talking to them. Mm-hmm. She was going over the details, and I was like, all right, yeah, like, we got that. Like, totally not a problem. Like, yep, absolutely understand. And she – said that basically my assurity made her more nervous. Made her more nervous. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I felt like none of these things were a big deal made her more yeah, nervous right. about because it came across as came across as flippant. Right. I mean it wasn't. It's not like we weren't gonna make those details happen no. and we didn't see them happen every weekend. You know what no, I no, mean? No, no, no. I know, but I think that there is there but I but it was a good lesson. I mean it definitely changed the way that I talk to people in the way that yeah. I there's the, there's a difference between a confidence and a dismissiveness. Yeah. And there's a very fine line between the two. And I think whether your intention is to be confident, which was your intention, sometimes like in that moment it came across as dismissive. Yeah. Like, oh, why do you care about that? Yeah, fine, totally got it. But I definitely think that was like one of those times where like our energies definitely weren't vibing. Oh, like yeah. your energy, like mm-hmm. you make me think that you're I, going to be a very annoying client. I feel that energy connection I felt it a lot like when I like when we first started in the first like five years of our business Mm -hmm. but it didn't matter like I was like okay I can change my energy for you because I we don't want the gig or the job or whatever but I definitely feel like that's they're not they weren't enjoyable and they definitely helped pay the bills and so there's a part of me that's like okay like we weren't at a point where we could be choosy about that and like now we're at a point and and the truth is is that now that we have a team if I don't match your energy there's like nine other people that could match your energy. Right. Right. <laughs> you don't have to match my energy. Right. Which is totally fine. In fact, you should not match my energy. Right. But I mean, that's like kind of why we try to get to know them a little bit better. I'm like, hey, like you are totally going to vibe with, you know, Kelsey. Like this is totally a Kelsey club. Yeah. You know. I yeah. Like I love that. Like mm-hmm. uh, that we have that option right now for multiple energy, which made me mm-hmm. think about his team. And he said that he only hires surfers. I know. That's super interesting. I know. Because they're all super mellow. Do you feel like there's some a certain type of person or a person that is or does a certain thing that we always hire or would always hire? I think the person that I would hire to give myself peace of mind would not be the same person I would hire for client facing. That makes sense. Like okay. office manager wise, like I loved having a like stay at home mom that kind of had mm-hmm. that ability to like juggle everything that knew like they could do like 30 things at one time and like circle all the plates and whatnot. Like, I thought that was a really great fit. But she was great with clients. She was great with clients, but she yeah. wasn't she, – but she she never planned a wedding, and she wasn't, yeah. like, overly, like, emotional, touchy-feely. Like, she right. didn't give off she, those emotions. But she, but she was a great venue manager for that very reason because she, she could hold the line. But I never thought about whether she, what she was getting done or not getting done because I just yeah. felt, like, so confident in her abilities to juggle a thousand things because I knew that I'm a mom. I know what she does. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I agree. So I think that for C and D, I think our we would always hire a mother over anybody else 
no matter what, even as a planner, yeah. I think that's the case because I agree. I think that they are able to connect with people. Like I think about like some of our best planners and this is not knocking Kelsey because Kelsey's a great planner, but some of the ones where I think of who have like who their power and their superpower is like making clients feel at ease and what we get like the most like love and feedback for someone like Maggie Beetle, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's because she's very maternal and yeah. she's very caring and like she just you just when you're around her, like you would like just want to give her a hug, right? And she is great at like multitasking and doing all those things. And I thought Sarah, our old office manager, like although she never planned for us, she was a she was one of my favorite and best assistants because she could carry on a conversation with anybody and anything. Yeah. She could connect to them. She was very like diligent and she was a great venue manager. And when you look at our Bradford team now, none of them are mothers. Yeah, I know. None of them are. And I feel like that's great because mm-hmm. I need someone 100% totally dedicated, yeah. right? And who doesn't have the pressures of home because it's I need them there all the time, you yeah. know? So I think that not that I wouldn't ever hire a mom for the Bradford, and I'm assuming one of those lovely women will become mothers one day. I think they will. But I think it's if I was to pick like our unicorn and what's our ideal client, whatever for the Bradford, I would, I think, I mean, for C and D, I think a a mom Mm -hmm. is a great fit for us. Yeah. Really. I've also often thought that teachers are great fits. Yes. That's another good one too. Because I think they have similar skills, but then it made me think when Chris said that he only hires surfers and I think, oh, teachers are great. Is that because I was a teacher? Maybe, but I, but you I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think, think about all like the way you have to adapt every single day as a teacher. I know. Is how you have to adapt <laughs> every single event and with every single client. Like you yeah. have to figure out what do they need, how, like, what's the best way to connect with them, like you do with your students. So I also think it's a great marketplace for us. So you could poach those people up so inexpensively. I know, but you shouldn't do that. They're already <laughs> struggling to keep their jobs. I'm just saying. Because it's very similar, like corralling squirrels and mm-hmm. the adaptability and, Lesson planning and all those things. Yep. Organizational part. Organizational part. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. But maybe you just like, like thinking through it a little bit deeper, maybe you just resonate with people who've done things that you've done. So you really understand the skills that it takes to do those things. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And that's why you're like, oh, that's a great employee. Yeah. I really loved um, when he was talking, we were kind of talking about that imposter syndrome and he was, and he didn't really say he suffered from that more like perfectionism. That he had that tiny voice in the back of his head mm-hmm. or in his mind that was telling him something, but the other guy was louder. And I really love that because I think that, I don't know, everyone has that kind of, you know, pull one way or the other. And I love that he recognized that the other person was louder and that's what he was yeah. like following. But that was like a really neat picture in my mind. I know. It made me think about people in my head. <laughs> Yeah. Alternative Courtney's. Well, what does your thing. tiny voice say? My tiny what's, voice. What, what's louder? My tiny voice says, I, like, I could have said this on that podcast because that's such something that I deal with all the time is there's never going to be enough. Mm. So my tiny voice is always that. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be enough. And my louder voice is it has to work out. Yeah. <laughs> like That's true. Like it's going to work out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's like definitely in between those two things. Like there's never going to be enough. It has to work out. Right. <laughs> right. What's your tiny voice say? I don't really know. I feel like it's not very tiny, I guess. It's, okay. I, don't, I don't know if one is louder than the other. I think uh, what's it's in my head is what I struggle with is that I'm, like, failing at a lot of things in life often. Like, just a constant, like, you know. Failure. Failure. Feeling a fa- failure. And it trickles into, like, 
home and, you know. Oh, I, I feel that greatly. So <laughs> I just I struggle with that. And um, and I think I guess what is louder is like I'm doing the best that I can do. Um, but sometimes it's I don't feel that either. Yeah. Like, I just think I'm I'm doing the not the best that I can do. I'm doing the most that I can do. Yeah. Which I think is two very different things. Sure. Like I'm putting out all I can put out right now. Right. But it's not my best. And, and yeah. if I just took some time to rearrange my life and rearrange how I can do things, then it could be the best. Yeah. But I'm not. <laughs> Taking so. the time or in the time where you could rearrange? Like just approaching it differently, not being stuck in how things have to be or recognizing that if you have to let something go so that you're not always failing. Yeah. You know, so. He talked a little bit about his barometer of stability, like when he knew that he could quit his mama's fish house job Mm -hmm. just to pursue this full time. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of glad we didn't have a barometer of stability because we definitely weren't stable. We quit jobs and did this, pursued this full time. yeah. Yeah, no. So I think more about what's my barometer of stability today. Right. Like when do I feel stable today? Looking back, I know I did not have one because we were not stable. Well, what is it? I don't know. I guess I'm like super like conservative. Like I'm like one of those I want three to six months of expenses kind of in my bank account. I think maybe it goes mm-hmm. back to like security for me, which is I was talking to Mikhail about this the other day is there – not that we ever, like, worried about, like, where's food coming from growing up, but there wasn't a whole lot of, like, financial and even, like, physical security because mm-hmm. our mom was, like, getting out of the hospital and whatnot. And, like, some of those, like, trends of insecurity have, like, seeped into my personality where I tend to be afraid of being insecure or taking big risks and things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, you have taken big ri- risks, Right. Right. And I do think that's the case, but not really. But not really. No. Yeah. Like we're pretty safe risk yeah. takers, mm-hmm. but probably on the risk side, but on the safe risk side. Oh, no. The only time we've been risky is after we were successful. We were never risky prior to the success of it. Like there was never a point in that construction of the Bradford that if it all failed, that we would have lost everything. Mm-hmm. There was never, we never, we, we, could didn't, pay for it. we didn't put that much on the line. Right, right, right. So it really wasn't risky. Yeah. I'm just saying there's there's probably that that peace of mind that where it's like and especially for the business like mm-hmm. I'm always thinking of and I think about it in all the things I'm involved in like think about the budget and I'm the treasurer for the PTA like oh how's that looking mm-hmm. I with the NACE like are we going to make our goal for this gala like mm-hmm. we have to make x number of dollars for us not to go on the red and I think about those things and I think about the business like how many months do we have in reserve mm-hmm. here and especially like as we add on more teammates for me that burden just feels bigger it doesn't Mm -hmm. ever feel lighter because I feel like okay well then there's that next person that's relying on all of our decisions for their paycheck too right so uh, I don't know what my barometer is three to six months hopefully six months and it's a year Mm -hmm. yeah I think my barometer for stability is definitely finances I think it's also time okay yeah time is a big one like I feel very stable when I have like have the ability to do things that I want to do and, you know, and have to go on a vacation or, you know, consistently be home. Yeah. You know, when the kids get home from school and whatnot, but definitely finances. I think that for so long we lived in a, we've definitely lived in a scarcity mindset like me and Sam did. Mm -hmm. Like we, 
you know, every, every dollar was a big deal. You know, it was, uh, you know, when the kids were playing sports, it was like, okay, let's go to like play it again sports and try to find like, yeah. you know, plates that have been used or whatever. And now it's just, I swear we go to Academy at the beginning of every season and we spend a couple hundred dollars and we get them all the things they need. Right. And it's not like I'm over there buying like Adidas shin guards. Why do you need Adidas shin guards? You can use a $4 shin guards. Yeah. A Brava. Right. Like <laughs> it's fine. You know, but there's certain things like you try to buy the cheap shoes. They don't have them there in her size. So I had to get the more expensive shoes and which is fine. And it was never, it wasn't a thought. It wasn't like, okay, we just spent this before. It was like, okay, we just spent, you know, $60 here, which means we're going to have to really cut back next week mm-hmm. and blah, blah, whatever. We never went out to eat like ever. Ever, ever. Mm-hmm. We would go out maybe to Chick-fil-A maybe once a month. Yeah. And that was it because we just it just wasn't – I can't even say we couldn't afford it. It just didn't match our financial goals that we had. Yeah. I feel like now, you know, not like we're cavalier, but we'll go out to eat once a week. And yeah. when the kids need something, it's not a huge deal. Yeah. It's not like a, a big production. Right. You know. I agree. So I think that's definitely my barometer for stability for but, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I tend to – like cling on more tightly to those things when the world feels unstable. Like I start getting very like controlly about those things when I'm like, the whole world feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. You know? I, yeah, but I feel less, I actually feel less that way. I feel like the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Why do I care about this so much? Like why, like just let it all go. Like, yeah, because it just shows that there is no stability in life, like at all. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like when I think about that, like I'm like, oh, maybe we should go add terrorism to our uh insurance so we don't have on there now often you know but like it it doesn't it wouldn't matter how much money i had in the bank at all like it wouldn't matter matter. it 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 just wouldn't matter so like at that point okay like we're alive we're healthy we we need to start accumulating cans no (laughs) i i just think that you know we're alive we're healthy and it's like that's secure yeah Right. Like that's the best you you can. And sometimes I get these very like morbid like moments of when everything's perfect and happy and you think of you can think of anyone in your life that's had, you know, tragedy or something happen. You're like, when was the last time they were normal and happy? Did they know that was the last time they'd be normal and happy? Yeah, probably not. No. Right. But yeah. like it's true. Like we're not guaranteed like anything like yeah. for the next day, you know. And when you think about it in those terms, you're like, OK, the stability is just that. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's yeah. how I talk myself out of those moments, too. I'm like, okay, do I have what I need for today? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Next day. Right. Well, let's lighten it up here. What's your fuck up of the week? Oh, I think I just haven't done – I haven't done the things that I need to do to feel successful in the week. Like, I'm just behind on, like, all the family stuff, like cleaning and oh, laundry and – all that stuff, and I feel like I didn't properly prepare Sam for the week. Mm-hmm. I believe you've said these exact same words before on the fuck up of the week. I have not properly prepared Sam for the week. I've said it once before. Mm-hmm. The other two times are related to Nace, but no, I um, and I think it's probably going to be the fuck up the fuck up of the week for probably the next six months of my life. It's just we have taken off more than we've taken more than we should have, and we don't have enough time in the day. To do it all. Yeah. And there's no way out of it other than just to get through it. Yeah. And I recognize that, but it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it feel any better. Like, oh, it's just what it is. Yeah. It has to work. It doesn't, (laughs) actually. My fuck up of the week is also related to family. 
I, on Wednesday, the kids go to a chess club mm. and I was coming in hot yesterday after an appointment and I went right to the office. So the kids got off the bus and I didn't see them get off the bus mm. or anything like that. And I was just hanging out with Liam and h- hanging out with Mason and Nora goes up to her room when she gets home. So it's not abnormal for me. Like you didn't even realize she wasn't home. Yeah. I didn't even realize she wasn't at the house. Liam's teacher called and asked, it was like 4.10, and she was like, hey, I was just wondering when you were planning on picking up Nora. And I was like, what? Nora's not at the house? <laughs> it's oh. like, she's at chess club. And I was like, oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. Put that down for my nomination of parent of the year. I was like, I had no idea she wasn't even here. That's funny. The boys didn't say anything to me? Nothing. Mm. Maybe they just assumed you knew? I guess they did. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely funny. like, okay, it's going to win me parent of the year. Yeah. Well, I don't really I'm out of the that. running, honestly. I'm out of the running every year. Yeah. Cheers to next year, 2023, mm-hmm. where we will be parents of the year. Thanks, everyone, for gathering with us today to talk about The Hustle. For our episode with Chris, we are drinking a summer old-fashioned. We hope you'll get a chance to make it this week, and cheers to great energy. To learn more and connect with Chris, you can find his beautiful work on Instagram at ChrisJEvansPhoto, and you can learn more about his business by visiting ChrisJEvans.com. And to learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CD Events, at the Bradford NC, and at Hustle & Gather. If you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our website at hustleandgather.com. Also, if you love us and you love this show, we would be more than honored if you left us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.